All right, so I'm going to hold this for a minute. Um, threes through five-year-olds, if you want to go to the back for your class, if you're new and you're wondering where your kid's going, you could definitely go with them to see that. Uh, K through fifth is obviously up here. Line up. That's my son running when he shouldn't be and sliding. He's safe. So... All right, so the more that I've gone throughout the morning, I've realized that Ronnie did not inform you that I was going to be preaching this morning. Uh, I don't know if he did that on purpose, because sometimes it seems like, you know, attendance tends to dwindle when he's not here. Uh, but based off of what we look like this morning, it's probably not that. So that makes me feel a little bit better about it. Um, but I'm excited to be here. Uh, being honest with you, usually I would take maybe a break from the book that Ronnie is preaching in. We're going to continue our series today, though, out of the book of Acts. Um, I remember the last time uh, that he asked me to kind of continue a book series was uh, a few years ago when we spent probably three years in the book of Revelation, maybe two years in the book of Revelation. We spent a long time in that book. Uh, and he had asked me if I wanted to continue that series when I was uh, going to fill in and preach. And I said, uh, I think I'll take a break from that. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, he's doing a lot of the, the, the laying the, the groundwork. He's doing a lot of the, the pre-study. And, uh, and I just didn't feel like I was capable to continue that series. The book of Acts is a little bit easier to manage in that regard. Pause. All right, are we on now? There we go. Much better. It felt really weird holding that microphone. It feels weird with this thing on my face too, though. But So if you have your Bibles, though, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Um, if you were here last week, Ronnie preached from the first 11 verses, um, and I thought the way he summed up these verses was perfect. He called uh, what had happened in those verses last week a miraculous uh, tragedy. Um, and to understand why it was a miraculous tragedy, we kind of have to understand where we've been in the book of Acts, particularly uh, at the end of chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, it says this in verse 32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. What a, what a beautiful way, what a miraculous way to describe the church. And then in verse 34, it said, There was a not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold. The beginning of chapter 5, though, takes a drastic turn in, the story, in, a, in a story that, best, that at best makes us uncomfortable, uh, you have a husband and a wife who broke from this pattern and came face to face with their maker as a result of it. I was sitting at the back computer with Chris, and after Ron, Ronnie finished reading verse 10, where it says, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her, out, bur and buried her uh, beside her husband, I heard Chris kind of chuckle, and I looked at him and said, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> that was a tough story. Uh, that was a tough, tough story uh, for a lot of different reasons. But it was, it was miraculous, obviously, because you have God upholding his standard of holiness uh, on the spot. Uh, you have leaders at the moment that had to call some people out for some very on a very tough, uh, in a very tough situation that, again, left us with a lot of questions, but you have these leaders that were willing to lead in the middle of a, of a very tough time. And so, man, in some ways, that was very miraculous. 
But at the same time, you had a very tragic event happen where you had a husband and a wife make a decision that seemed so avoidable, right? It seemed like, like, like I don't know about you, but when, when she came in to be questioned, when he was reading that part of the scripture, I remember going, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And what did she do? She done did it, right? Uh, she ended up violating God's holiness, and as a result of it, she also met her maker, um, I'm not sure about you, but man, in some ways, that passage left me with a lot of questions. Ronnie did a really great job at answering most of those, but it still makes you uncomfortable. Um, and our passage today, which brings us to our passage today, uh, our passage today is one of three summary statements in the book of Acts concerning, concerning the progress of the church. The previous statement is actually the verses that we already read out of in verses 32 through 35, where it reflected on the unity of believers. Um, and their willingness to share their material goods. And so when I first read this passage today and figured out that that's what this was, all it was was a summary statement, I'm not gonna lie, I debated not preaching it and just moving on to the next, like, more story, more narrative. Uh, But as I prayed about it and as I uh, continued to read and meditate on the text, I could not help but get out of my head 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that says, all scripture is God-breathed, and profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Just because this is a summary statement doesn't mean that there isn't truth for you and I to glean. And in true Matt Johnson fashion, we will be referencing a lot of other scripture, but this will be the text that we launch from. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to pray real quick before we read this, uh, and then we'll get into reading it right away. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today, I thank you so much, and Lord, I ask that as we get ready to dig into your word today, that you would use the truth that is embedded within this, that you would use what you intended when these, uh, these words were written down by Luke, that you would use these words to shape us, uh, to continue to grow us, and Lord, ultimately to challenge us. Lord, ultimately, we thank you for Jesus, because without him, none of this would be possible, and it's in his name we pray, Amen. All right, starting in verse 12 of chapter 5. Now many signs, wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest of them dared join, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the, to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. As stated, as stated earlier, the purpose of this is a summary statement. And the purpose of this summary statement was to emphasize the progress of the church. Knowing the context of the passage and that this is the purpose of the statement, we can find the truth that we're going to be able to apply to our lives today. And we can also find the challenge and the application that we're going to draw from it too. Anyone who has been in ministry for some time can tell you that like, that like any other job, we have really good days and we have really bad days. The difference between ministry and most, not all, other jobs is that when you have bad days, more often than not, they feel very personal. And so something that seems like just a, a difficult thing can feel like they're directly attacking you or directly coming against you. 
When I read the account of Ananias and Sapphira, I thought about the fact that even though God is the one that punished, uh, punished, the disciples were most likely the ones that heard about it, if there were any criticism. We don't have any accounts of them actually facing that criticism, although we do have some allusion to the fact that they might, ha- ha- that they might have in the passage. This, re- this criticism can lead to doubt, and, that, and if that goes unchecked, it can get out of hand in a real hurry. I'd be lying to you if I said uh, that I haven't been in the place where I've wanted to hang it up before because things have gotten out of hand, because I've had to deal with doubt or because I've, I've doubted the position that God has placed me in because things get really, really difficult. I think, if, I think if you ask any of our elders or our other staff or anybody that's been in ministry for long enough, they could probably tell you the same thing, is that, man, when things get tough, sometimes they can feel very personal. But I think here in this lies the truth, that, which is kind of how I had entitled the sermon and I think is the dominant thought of this whole passage, and that is this, that the disciples' mission went unhindered. The disciples' mission was unhindered, right? The progress of the church did not cease despite of what, was go- despite of what had just taken place. To some people, this could have been a really, really bad day. As Roddy talked about it last week, it was a miraculous tragedy, But their ministry, their mission, their drive to reach people for Jesus and to lay the foundation of the church did not stop. It went unhindered, even though they had a bad day. And so here's the question. How can our ministry go unhindered? How can our approach to life, how can our mission take on this same place? Well, I'm glad you asked. At the end of the day, I think there's three ways that we can have an unhindered mission that we can draw from this passage and the way the disciples carried on the ministry of the church. And for it, I actually, I actually just put together an acronym just to make it easy, easy to remember. I put, I put it like this. You have to be willing to be hip, H-I-P. Of course, I'm not talking about staying up on modern trends like TikTok dances, wearing cool sneakers, or even uh, putting on jeans that look like they got in a fight with a brush hog. I'm talking about living on mission when those, yes, good days and even bad days are upon you. And so the H in hip stands for this, holiness. We must be willing to express God's hatred for sin and uphold his holiness. Throughout the book of Acts alone, we see the apostles not turn a blind eye to sin, even when it would have been easier to do so. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, when preaching to the Jews, says this, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him in the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In Acts chapter 3, Peter also went on to say, But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In Acts chapter four, before the, when Peter was before the council, he said this, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. He was not afraid to point out the fact that they had put the author of life to death to put it in his own words. Things were no different when they faced Ananias and Sapphira. 
No matter what the cost, they were willing to uphold God's holiness by not turning a blind eye to sin. In fact, in our verse today, we see the result of it could have made them question their own ministry and whether they were right or wrong in it. Verse 13 says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. You guys seem like really good people, but I don't know if I want anything to do with that, right? You seem like good people, but I don't know if, if I want to be held accountable in that way. I'll just stay over here. This response within itself could be, could be uh, described as a miraculous tragedy. Mir- miraculous that the people couldn't find fault in the apostles for doing something really difficult, but it's also very tragic that they were unwilling to follow Jesus. Um, and one commentator put it this way, Christians were held in high esteem. People were reluctant to join the church, though. They realized that the awesome power of the Spirit that judges also demands commitment and responsibility. Now, we don't have a lot of clarity on who the rest were in the verses, but the next verse shows us that even though some who were close to the situation might not have wanted to join him, there were also plenty that did. Verse 14 says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord and multitudes of both men and women. And so we have to trust the process. We cannot water down the gospel by ignoring God's holiness. At the end of the day, sin is sin. Whether we are talking about modern uh, sexual or LGBTQ ideology or even the lust that is in within our own hearts, whether we are talking about breaking the laws of the land by crossing the borders illegally or having hatred or disdain for immigrants, whether we are talking about robbing a store or coveting what your neighbor has, if we're talking about killing the unborn or being self-indulgent and greedy and keeping everything to ourselves, we have a responsibility to talk about sin for what it is, and that is a violation of God's holiness. And because of it, we cannot have a relationship with him but by the blood of Jesus. Did you know that Paul himself had to call out Peter in the book of Galatians for a sin that he committed? Right? We have, we have Peter, who wasn't afraid to talk to people about their sin, being called out for a sin by another apostle. It says this in the book of Galatians, when he first arrived, talking about Peter, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed in Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led led astray. His sin is one that we wouldn't often talk about but their sin was, his sin was partiality, right? Looking down on people for anything outside of what God's word says is okay or not okay is not okay. Do people in the, in the church use worldly distinctions to exclude or look down on other people? You bet they do. That is sin, and that is not okay, and we have to be willing to talk about sin for what it is, a violation of God's holiness. To be honest with you, though, some of us, it's very easy to see sin in others, right? Let's be real. It's easy to look at the world, see the people around us and go, you've done this wrong, you've done that wrong, I can't believe they would allow this, right? But one of the best places to start addressing sin is in your own life, right? This is easily affirmed in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus asked the questions, why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own, right? Jesus in Luke 18 
is talking about two men, men praying, and he says this. The Pharisee prayed this, he basically said this, this, prayer, this Pharisee prays this long prayer where he's talking about, man, thank God I'm not like these people. Thank God I do this. Thank God that I give all of the money that I have, right? Very, thank God for all of these things. But Jesus looks over and says, then there was a tax collector, which if you don't know, tax collectors were hated by Jewish people at the time. They were looked at as sellouts and people that, that uh, basically gave up on their own people. And he said, look at this, stack, this, this tax collector over here. He was standing far off and he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, I am a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Does your life look any different than when you first started following Jesus? Have you actively been putting sin, into your, sin to death in your own life, or are you too worried about the sin of others? I want to finish with a couple points of application in this, in this part of the sermon. The first one I think is this. I think one way that we can start to do this is that we can continue to pay, pray that same prayer. God, be merciful on me. I am a sinner. And the other thing that I think we can do is type out our testimony. If you have a notes app or a piece of paper, do something. Figure out a way to write down your own testimony. And you have to understand that our testimony is not something that we just start writing and then it's over with. If you're still breathing, your testimony is still being written. One of the most powerful tools that we have at our disposal is the story about how God redeemed us, about how God has taken the sin that we lived in and how he has made us new. Ginger last week talked about one of the goals is to be able to look back on her life and see a difference. How often do you think about that? How often do you think about who you were before you started following Jesus? And so I encourage you, take time to write that down. It doesn't take that much time, and honestly, it's a, it can be a continual process. But it's something that we must do, and I think can be a powerful message to those around us. The disciples, the apostles, they were willing to express God's hatred for sin. They were willing to uphold God's standard of holiness, which is why I think their mission went unhindered. And so to, to continue our acronym, the I in HIP stands for identification. We must be willing to meet people at their point of need. Verse 12 says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Verse 15 says, So that they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them at the cots and the mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall upon them. Matthew 28 says, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you till the end of the age. At the end of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, I hope it's obvious to you by now, but the only reason you are sitting in these pews today is because the apostles had a mission to go, had a command to go, and they went. The generations after them had a command to go, and they went. A couple years ago, we did a class on Wednesday nights called The Gospel Throughout History. There are a couple people in here that were in that class. Most of it is actually still on our YouTube channel if that's something you want to go look at, but the entirety of this class was on this tap topic about how people were faithful throughout history with the gospel and where it, how it got to where we are today. 
It is, it is fascinating and empowering to see the gospel at work throughout history. You want to be empowered? Go read about St. Patrick. You know, the guy that we, is celebrated by drinking too much and wearing green? History records said that at 16, St. Patrick was captured by Irish raiders and spent several years as a slave in Ireland. It was during this time that he learned various rituals, customs, and even the language of Druids, and it was the, these people that he eventually evangelized to. Patrick appeared, apparently had a dream in which God spoke to him saying, your ship is ready, and, and uh, not that long later, he ended up on a ship and escaping back to, uh, escaping, escaping Ireland by ship. Shortly after that, though, he experienced a dream in which he received a letter that, lay, that was labeled Voice of the Irish. When he opened it, he heard the voices of all those whom he had met in Ireland begging him to return. St. Patrick then returned to Ireland to tell people about Christ. The very place that he was enslaved to, he returned to. And during the 30 years of his work there, he supposedly converted 135,000 people and established 300 churches. If that is not empowering to you, I don't know what is. I remember uh, Brother Ty was in that, that class with me and his first response was, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life that this guy was enslaved to a community and instead of looking on them with disdain and judgment, he turned around and went back to them so that they could know about Jesus. I wanna share some good news with you. You don't have to hop on a boat to see, meet someone's needs, though. Although, if you're called to that, you probably should. Many of us rub shoulders with people every day who don't know Jesus or who have needs. Are we paying attention to that? I actually want to, to take a second here and brag about a church leader, uh, Mike Berg. Mike Berg, not that long ago, uh, started something a little bit new, and this kind of came out of conviction. He was leading a class of, uh, f called Followers Made. If you don't know what, about what that is, it's a discipleship group, discipleship program. If you want to be a part of that, let us know. But he was leading this group, and he was talking about expressing the, the, how he loved our uh, service Sunday. If you don't know what that is, it's going to be coming up in the fall, but it's where we go out and we serve the community on Sunday morning instead of gathering here. And he was challenged by some of the guys in the group that says, hey, if you have this conviction about it, why don't you do something about it? And so now on fifth Sundays, he just started, he did his first one last month. On his fifth Sundays of the month, he's going to be leading a group of guys or anybody that wants to join him in service projects on Sunday morning for people in the community. Right? Mike had a conviction that at the end of the day, people had needs and he wanted to help meet those needs. And instead of turning a blind eye to that conviction, he acted upon it. Now granted, it took being challenged by brothers and sisters in Christ, but yet he still is doing it. And so a few weeks ago, him and a group of guys went out and they did some yard work for someone in the community. And so here's my question to you. Are you living on mission? Are you living with purpose? Are you willing to pe meet people at their point of need? Or are we so caught up in thinking about what we have going on that we miss out on these opportunities that are in front of us each and every day? I want to challenge you this week to look for one need outside of your home that you can meet this week. Some of you might be sitting in here and have an idea, but I encourage you to put some real thought into this. The point is not to check a box but to live on mission and to start taking steps in that direction each and every day. To have a purpose in meeting the need 
Uh, and, and to have a purpose and meaning to the need. It could be a coworker, it could be a stranger, it could even be a family member that doesn't know Jesus. But at the end of the day, part of living on mission is to meet needs. The apostles were willing to go. The question is, are you? We must be willing to express God's disdain for sin. That's holiness. We must be willing to meet people at their point of need. That is identification. And the last one is P, power. We must be willing to minister in the power of the Spirit. Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Do you believe that God has not just called you to speak about the holiness or to meet people's needs, but that he has given you the power to do so through his Holy Spirit? The disciples believed him. The first part of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which I read earlier, Jesus promises the apostles this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Romans 6, 11 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the de- dead dwells in you, he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, it will also give you, it will give life to your moral bodies by his spirit who dwells within you. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons whom we cry, Abba, Father. Church, do you believe that when, when, when you walk out of these doors, the same spirit that raised our Savior from the dead dwells within you? The same spirit that empowered the apostles not just to preach the good news, not just to face persecution, but also continue even when days were tough, empowers you and dwells within you. Because it's in here, I do think it's worth addressing. What do we do with the healings? Why don't we see these more often today? And why are people not gifted in this as much, it seems like? The short answer to this is I don't know all the answers to this. One commentator put it this way. It's important to recognize that this is not a question of whether God still performs miracles today. It would be foolish and unbiblical to claim that God does not heal people, speak to people, perform miraculous signs, and do wonders today. It is also important to realize that the early church did not have a completed Bible as we do. Therefore, the gifts of prophecy and knowledge and wisdom were necessary in order for early Christians to know that God would have, what, what God would have them do. The gift of prophecy enabled believers to communicate new truth and revelation from God. Now that God's revelation is complete in the Bible, the, revel- the revelatory gifts are no longer needed, at least not in the same capacity as the New Testament. God miraculously heals people every day. God still does amazing miracles and signs and wonders and sometimes perform those miracles even through believers. However, these things are not necessarily the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. The primary purpose of the miraculous gifts was to prove that the gospel was true, that the apostles were truly recognized messengers of God, and that the Bible doesn't say, and the, and the Bible doesn't say outright that the gifts have ceased, but it does lay a foundation for why we might no longer, why they might not no longer occur in the same context as they did in the New Testament. I was talking about this with a brother, and this issue seems to sway two different directions. The, two, the first one is this, that some people completely take advantage of the idea of healing, and they prey on people's desire to see themselves healed. They act as though they're modern-day apostles, and this is just not true. This is often, pub, this is often, often over-publicized 
and unfortunately comes out to be false. But to say that God doesn't use people to heal people would also be ridiculous. Last week, we heard a testimony of Ginger's son being diagnosed with lymphoma only to get to the Mayo Clinic and find nothing of the sort. This is testimony from somebody that has walked and lived in these doors. I see people from my Lion Chasers group. We've prayed over situations and seen people healed as a result of it. God can and does use people to heal people today. He does perform miracles. But there's also another camp, and this is the one I usually find myself in. I think this is the camp that most of the Western world would probably fall into. But one of my favorite memories goes back to, uh, goes back in the, sorry, one of my favorite memories in the last 11 years of being here is when the elders and staff went and prayed over Juliet Bullock. Based on the book of James, this is something that should be a regular occurrence. Being honest with you, I can't tell you how many people uh, I would love to have the gift of healing for. I also can't tell you how many times I have lacked enough faith to pray. Lacked enough faith to pray for people to be healed. You see, more often than not, we lack faith, which is why we don't ask for these things. The truth is we could... The truth is we could expound on this a lot. We could continue to go with it and ask the question about why these things don't occur, why we lack faith in these things. But the truth is, at the end of the day, we are called to minister in the power of the Spirit. We are all gifted differently. And so although that we might not have the gift of healing, we do have other gifts. And for, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them, to, them all and everyone. To each has given the manifestation for the Spirit for the common good. Although being able to heal and speak on behalf of God might make evangelism a little bit easier or even more empowering, it's important to understand that everybody we read from, it, read from in the New Testament would look at some of the things that we have and they wish that they would have those things. Wait a minute, you have a whole Bible? You have the whole Bible? And you don't have to carry a book around with you to look at it? You can communicate with people in remote areas at any time of the day with the touch of a finger? You can travel to different areas for mission trips and you don't have to walk, ride a horse, or take a boat? Think about how quickly people could be reached for the kingdom. And, let's, and we haven't even gotten into guys like John the Baptist who would go, wait a minute, you have the very spirit of God dwelling within you? We have been gifted, you have been gifted, both generally and specifically, to go out and minister in the power of the spirit. Could you imagine what you could do, what the church could do if we truly believe that we have been empowered with the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you and he empowers you to carry out his mission. Jesus told the disciples that if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, move to there and it would move and nothing would be impossible for you. You have been empowered with that Spirit. Do you believe it? 
So we must be willing to express God's hatred for sin. We must be willing to meet people at their point of need, and we must be able to minister in the power of the Spirit. So I was trying to figure out a way to wrap this up. I know some of you might be surprised because I'm definitely early. But there's two passages that I, that I think about often that I think is why the mission goes unhindered more often than not. The first one is 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Our mission is not unhindered because of God. God is patient. He wants to see us on mission. Matthew 9, 36 and 38 says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, this is Jesus, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the Lord, or the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord, the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest fields. I read an article uh, from Pew Research that talked mostly about the decline of Christianity from 1972 to the present day. And although it has declined, I want you to listen to this. In 2021, their research would suggest that 63% or 210 million people in the United States would fall into the Christian category. Let's just say this. Let's just say they were way off. Let's 50% off, which I, they could probably be even further off than that, right? But let's just say they're 50% off. That would mean that 105 million people in the United States could, be, could fall into the category of Christian. Here's what I want you to understand. If that's true, it does not sound like we have a harvester problem in the United States. It sounds like we have plenty of harvesters. It sounds like they need to get to work. The issue seems to be that we have a lot of people claiming to be Christians that have been blinded by what the world has to offer them or even by indifference. It feels like Christians get more excited about hobbies, more bent out of shape about sports teams losses, or more passionate about politics and being right than they do about the spiritually dead being raised to life. As much as I would love to heal somebody, I think oftentimes we discount or discredit the amazing thing that it is for the spiritually dead to be raised to life. For somebody to go from being, being separated from God to being part of his family again. Luke 15, Jesus was telling a story about a man finding his lost sheep. And he said this statement, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We have to see the miracle of the, that is the spiritually dead being raised to life. And we can't just have to see how beautiful it is. We have to crave it with every fiber of our being. The disciples went on mission. Their mission went unhindered because they saw this. They saw the value in this. My question is, do you? When you leave these doors today, actually, when you walk these, in these doors today, did you view this as a, so, a time for social, a time for you to be fed, 
Or do you, you view this as a training place for you to be able to get sent out and to be able to have an impact on the rest of our community? Guys, I love this place and I love what we do here, but it is a lot more to me than a social club. It is a lot more to me than just getting to see people that I love. It is a place for us to be edified and to be sent out. And so my question to you is, are you willing to go? I want you to reflect on that. We're going to get ready to take communion. If you have your cup, you can pull it out. I said it earlier that our, one of our greatest gifts is our testimony. When we come to this time of communion, it is a chance for us to reflect upon God's holiness and how without him, we would be separated from him. And so if you have your bread, take it. This represents the body of Jesus, which was broken for us. Do this in remembrance of him. And in the same way, he took the cup. This is the, symbolized the blood of the new covenant, covenant, which was poured out for many. Do this in remembrance of him. I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come today, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for man, him dying on the cross so that we might have right relationship with you. Uh, Lord, I ask that as we uh, get ready to leave here, Lord, that you would send us out on mission. And Lord, that our hearts would be stirred up for your gospel and for your kingdom. And Lord, that we would see the beauty of the, death be, the dead being raised to life. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.